the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Hey, y'all. I'm Bud Elliott, and this is Cover 3 College Football Summer School. We've done our research on the teams, and now we're bringing on the top team experts from the 24-7 Sports Network to help us fill in the blanks. Please follow us on Twitter at Cover3Podcast. That's Cover3Podcast. And leave us a five-star review on Apple and Spotify. All right. Class is in session. Hey y'all, Bud Elliott here, and welcome back to the Cover 3 College Ball Podcast. This is the Summer School Series, and right now we're going to talk a little University of Miami with David Lake of Inside the U. David, welcome back to the show, man. Bud, good to be on with you. Uh, Summer School's in session. I can't admit I ever went to summer school, uh, but hopefully I get a passing grade here from you. I I think scholarship-wise, if if you got the bright futures, uh, which I'm not trying to flex on that, but like (laughs) I know everybody got, I think you had to take one semester over the summer or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, so I, I did one semester of summer school. It was, it was cool. Little, little, little books, little like, you know, Laid back s- slip and slide. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, it was pretty fun. Uh, so a team hoping to have more fun this year is Miami. Uh, they played as a top 35 team according to the Vegas ratings, but schedule was difficult at times and they had a little bit of close game, bad luck finishing uh, you know, with only seven wins last year, but some pretty encouraging things. And, and, one spot I want to start here, uh, obviously they hired Mario Cristobal. We've discussed that quite a bit on Cover 3. I think we sampled inside the U on that as well. That was like the guy they had zeroed in on. You were absolutely just steadfast in your assertion that that was still the top target and they were they were still in discussion. And uh, you nailed it, man. So I just want to give you credit for that here. Thanks. Yeah, it was definitely a strange – I mean, is it even a coaching search? I don't even know what to call that because – you know, I mean, look, they definitely left Manny Diaz twisting in the wind. Um, so it was a weird thing to cover. But, yeah, they, they kind of – and really it's because that's the way Mario Cristobal wanted it to be, right? He he wanted to finish the job at Oregon. So Miami had to be patient through the Pac-12 championship game and, uh, you know, had to button things up, I guess, uh, that last weekend. But Miami, honestly, like Miami felt confident the whole time that they could pull him back home. Uh, but it wasn't a done deal. You know, they had to convince him and they had to make it clear that they were willing to invest the resources necessary to, to pull him away from a program like Oregon. Absolutely. Uh, so what, one of the attractive things about taking the Miami job is the offense that, that Cristobal uh, and new offensive coordinator, Josh Gaddis, who comes from Michigan, uh, will be inheriting. And I, I wanted to open with, Stylistically, uh, and obviously personnel will dictate this as, as it must. What do you see being done differently uh, by Gaddis in terms of you know run-pass balance or tempo, uh, personnel usage, etc.? I think it's going to be a slower tempo, right? So we can just start there, which should be expected. I mean, the I don't know if Rhett Lashley's offense really hit the tempo that they still would have liked, but 
uh, they intended to play fast, right? His style of offense is very basic, but they look to play fast and hit you with tempo, at least in some spots, right? Um, Gaddis is going to be multiple with his formations. And we saw that in the spring game. Like the, the spring game was very vanilla in terms of play designs, but pre-snap formations, they kind of threw the book at their upcoming schedule, right? Giving giving defensive coordinators a lot to study and look at. Um, it's going to be a lot of two tight end sets, which Miami fans get excited about, of course. Um, and, and also just the, the run game. I mean, it's not sexy to talk about the run game in spring football, but it's it's definitely a pillar of what Mario Cristobal wants to establish at Miami. Um, it's a lot of pin and pull looks in the run game. Uh, whereas, you know, the Rhett Lashley offense, and I'm not criticizing by saying this, but it was very basic, right? It, it's kind of just zone read out of shotgun, and you hope your offensive line wins that battle at the line of scrimmage. I think this style of run game is more searching for angles and leverage and helping the running backs in that way. Um, so I do think the run game's going to be improved. How much I, I, I think is to be determined, uh, but the run game's going to improve. And then they hope that a better, not a better, but a receiver emerges as they try to replace Charleston Rambo, who exploded in the second half of the season with his chemistry with Tyler Van Dyke last year. Um, it's still like, I, I do think they have talent there and I, I do think they'll have guys there that will produce. But if we're talking about is Miami an eight win team or a 10 win team, I think that receiver question, um, is going to answer that, uh, amongst other things. Yeah. I mean, real, like I, I looked at my numbers earlier today and, uh, I, I actually have non like, like tiny percentages on six and six all the way up to 11 and one. Sure. I was like, like it, almost anything is possible. Uh, I, I do want to ask you about the the tight ends there. Uh, since you mentioned more multiple tight end sets, I, I, I saw on Inside the U, which all y'all need to subscribe to if you are a Miami fan for sure, that Mallory uh, you know, missed uh, yeah. missed the spring with the shoulder. I think it was another shoulder injury, right? Is he yeah. expected back? Can they run yeah. multiple tight end sets with the guys they have? Uh, ideally, it would they would need Mallory, but they do have talent. I mean, Elijah Arroyo is a guy who's uh, – rising sophomore and, and he's very talented. He would be a number one tight end at most schools around the country. He stepped up, did a good job in the spring with Will Mallory out. Um, and then, you know, is he ready for to, to play 20 to 30 snaps a game? I don't know, but Jaleel Skinner is a very mm -hmm. talented freshman that showed out during spring, quite frankly, um, still, you know, 230 ish. So still a little skinny, um, but he can stretch the field vertically, very athletic, freaky wingspan. Um, I think ideally, right, he's that third tight end that they kind of sprinkle in now and then. But yeah, Will Mallory, who frankly is has had an injury-prone career at Miami, and he was having a tremendous spring when he did get injured, uh, but he is expected to be back for the start of, of the season. And so I think it'll mainly be those two guys, Will Mallory, and Elijah Arroyo. Will Mallory is kind of more like your your pass catcher, not much of a blocker, whereas Elijah Arroyo is a good blocker, um, not quite as athletic as Will Mallory, but he is he is an athletic tight end in his own right. No doubt about it. If they get him back, I'm, I'm really excited to see a Mallory-Arroyo uh, combo yeah. there on offense. Um, staying on the offensive side of the ball, 
with, with Rambo. I, I, I had a chance to see some of the charting uh, that was done by, by Statsbomb uh, last year, and the separation that Rambo got on routes compared to the other receivers uh, was uh, it, it was visible, <laughs> yeah, especially sure. on, on those scatter plots. Uh, but with, with him and, and Mike Harley gone, it looks like those two had double the targets of all the other receivers combined. So yeah. to me, that's like, like a, a question that needs to be answered. I don't know exactly. if they fully answered it in spring, but I always liked Restrepo as a slot in, yeah. in, in, in the seven on scene in, in, in high school. It, can he take the slot and just be that guy? And if not, who? And then also certainly on the outside, uh, who do, who do you see on the outside? I feel good about the slot. Like you said, okay. Xavier Restrepo, I think he can do the job. I think like if you're going to bet who's going to lead the team in receptions, it'll be Xavier Restrepo. He's roommates with Tyler Van Dyke. They have a very good chemistry. Um, you know, is he an NFL level athlete? I would probably say no, but he can be a, a good dependable slot receiver at the college level. The outside receiver is where the question mark is. They brought in Frank Ladson from Clemson, who picked it up second half of, of the month of spring football. But, you know, I, I think he's a little, and there's nothing wrong with this, but he's kind of a go-route guy, right? So he's a sure. 6'4 receiver that has very good speed, and he's 205 pounds. Uh, Miami doesn't have receivers that look like him physically, and he can go go vertical on you. Um in terms of a guy that, like you said, can create separation, that's a question mark, I think. I think the guy that people inside the program are very excited about is Jacoby George. Um, but in the spring game, you know, which is what the fans get to watch, he did have, I believe, two drops. Um, one was, so Jacoby has freakishly large hands. He's got, he wears like 3X, 4X gloves for a guy that's 5'11", 6 foot. And uh, there was one throw where he tried to just one hand catch it. Whereas if he just went with two hands, it's an easy big gain, maybe even a touchdown. Um, but he had some drops. Keyshawn Smith, who's a returner from last year, he played 700 snaps or so last year and produced maybe 400 receiving yards. Um, I think that's probably what he is. So I don't know if, if it's fair to expect a jump from him. I think ideally Jacoby George uh raises his consistency level because he does have star potential with his ability to make spectacular catches and i think ideally frank ladson is a threat on the outside as a go route guy um, they also have romello brinson who was out this spring um, that people are excited about but following the spring too mario cristobal was pretty frank as he always is he was you know he kind of hinted like if there is a receiver that enters the portal, we would probably explore that option too. So um, it is a question mark. I don't know if it's like, like two years ago, but I don't know if you remember. So it was Derek King's first season, right? Outside receiver was an issue. So Mark Pope, D Wiggins, I'm probably forgetting one other guy, but they had trouble separating. They had trouble catching the ball. It was an issue. I don't know if these guys have trouble separating. Um, I'm not sure catching really is an issue, um, although it was in the spring game. I feel better about this group than I did two years ago, but that's a low bar. For sure. Um, so run game-wise, last year, uh, looking it up, they were 90th in rushing efficiency, yeah. and that's sacks removed. I, 
just knowing Cristobal's history uh, and obviously, you know, going from, um, from Lashley to the Gaddis, they're going to run the ball more this year. I, yeah. I think there's no doubt. Is there a reason to think that they will be running it better? I think so. I think okay. so. I think maybe in the fifties, right? If, if sure. you look at those, that's a huge jump time. though. I mean, Correct. 90th to 50th. Correct. And it really, again, it's because of the angles they're going to be able to get like Miami's running backs. They do have speed, right? Like they're not, they're not bad players. Um, I think the issue in the run game was the offensive line. They're just not physically dominant players. Um, but if they have the ability to create some angles, you know, with, with pin and pull uh, schemes, I think they will be more successful running the ball. Again, it's not going to be like we're going to mash you up like Mario Cristobal wants it to be. Uh, but I do think in year one there's going to be a jump. Awesome. Uh, last question here. I I think I'm a believer in Van Dyke. I, you know, obviously listen to yeah. Inside the U and, and Through the Smoke podcast. You are as well. Is there anything kind of just – at the back of your crawl, just saying, wait a second, like UVA, UNC, NC State with both backers out, Pitt, sure. Georgia Tech, Florida State, Vatech with the fired coach, and Duke with the, you know, lane. like, is there anything that says he crushed this schedule? I think he's really good. Are we sure he's great? Because, like, I look at those, and I mean, obviously I see Florida State every week. Florida State was, like, the second best defense you faced there in that schedule. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. No, I think that is fair. Um but he makes so all these throws. Right. He does have NFL talent, right? And he did produce at the end of the at the end of the season, right? Like the production was absolutely there. I think it's fair though to wonder. I mean, the Virginia game he got off to a very slow start was bad, quite frankly. You could but you could explain that by saying it was his first real start against a power five team. Uh, the next week, same thing kind of happened against North Carolina, right? NC State, I think it's fair to point out they were missing some key players. Um, but he won. He played well, won a tough game. And from there, it looked like he was kind of taken off. And then the Florida State game happened where, again, he started very slow. Um, now, he ends all these games with, with big-time numbers because kind of like in the NFL, right, most of those guys eventually find their, find their rhythm. Yeah. Find, and so he is that guy. Um, but I do think it's fair to say, okay, year two now, you got to be consistent, start to finish it in these games. You can't have these up and ups and downs. But I do think he's a big time player. Um, I don't know. I mean, he has first round tools. He's got to go out and produce this year um, to, to really validate that, of course. But he's he's a big time player. I think. Let's go ahead and switch over to the defensive side of the ball here, uh, which was Manny Diaz's specialty, but certainly was far from special uh, last year, yeah. 51st in, in overall efficiency, uh, really good pass defense numbers on a down to down basis. Run defense was okay as far as like success rate. And then just 70 and 80 and 60 yard runs just all over the place. It was, it was like, they just didn't tackle anybody. Kevin Steele yeah. comes in as the DC. Uh, I know Kevin loves to use like six and seven defensive back looks. If you look what he did at, at you know, especially at Auburn, somewhat at Clemson, um, kind of a complex scheme. I mean, like, like it, it can just from looking at all the different kind of things he he ran. Starting in the back end, I'm I'm interested to see how they sort this stuff out because I feel like you got you got James Williams, Avante Williams. It, to me, those are wild cards for this team. You may disagree, but like if they play to their talent level, this could really be a different. Like they'll hit that upper tier oh, yeah. of the projection. 
And you got Tyreek at corner, who's you know good player. Solid. Takori's okay, I think. Uh, they bring in Daryl Porter in, in the, the portal. And then they got Kinchin's Gilbert Frierson, Keontre right. Smith still? Yeah, so Kinchin's playing where? <laughs> right. And, and you could say that too. I mean, I still think Tyreek, for what they have, is best as an outside corner. But you could make the argument his best skill set is as, as like a big nickel or maybe even as a safety, right? And I will say, coming into spring, this staff was concerned about the cornerback position in particular because they were kind of up and down last year. Um, but following the spring, they were very pleased by what they showed. And I, I'm not – I take that as – these guys were better than we expected. I don't think okay. they're they're out here saying that it's a lockdown group. Uh, but yeah, I mean, look, if you go Cam Kitchens, Avante Williams in, in, as your safeties, that gives you James Williams as like a chess piece that can move around in, in the front a little bit, um, which Kevin Steele does, right? Like he, he'll do that with some guys. Um, one guy who emerged but and was a former Florida State guy, Florida, Florida State commit, Isaiah Dunson. He was probably the surprise of the spring. Right. So I think they feel good about corner depth. I don't know if they have a total lockdown guy. If it is, it's Tyreek. I just, I think Tyreek's more of like a good solid corner. Um, But yeah, they, they do feel good about how they can mix and match there. Um, Linebacker, I think is a concern. And I was going to go there because I'm not really sure like who, should I be believing anybody here? Like, is there a reason to believe in any of these dudes? Like, like Flag well, and Steed played a lot of snaps, but not necessarily good snaps. So Flag is behind Steed now. Um, okay. Together, last year they kind of played together, middle and weak. So now they're both in the middle. Steed, pretty much the whole spring was first, Flag second. Keontre Smith is weak side. Um, and then at after him, it's kind of like a toss-up of guys. Uh, but they did add Caleb Johnson in the in the portal, who comes from UCLA. Solid guy, veteran guy, probably a starter for Miami. Raises the floor, but um, game changer, probably not. Um, at, at linebacker, though, right? Not not D end. Correct at linebacker. Okay, cool. So, right. um, you know, I think it's definitely the weakness, and I think people in the program would tell you that. Uh, but I think they do hope they can improve the defensive line play, and maybe that helps the linebackers be a little bit more consistent. And, and let's be real, too. I think this staff would take it if the linebackers just improve tackling. And I think that's something they feel like they can control, right? The athleticism, the body types, those kind of are what they are with these guys. But can you just tackle the guy when, when you get there? If they do that, the defense is going to improve. Yeah, I mean, like the, the defense really was not terrible in every category. It's it's just explosive run rate, 119th in the country allowed. Yeah. I feel like for a team with Miami's level of speed, that's just not acceptable. It's not like you're getting beat to the edge due to lack of athleticism for the most part, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I, there's reason to think that could improve, obviously, just from better coaching or, and- or more consistent effort. And who knows, like, I mean, in the spring game, just eye test, it did seem like the tackling was more consistent, right? Um, Again, this is a very low bar. Like, (laughs) we're talking about tackling, which I think we all take take advantage, but Miami fans, uh, or or take for granted, but Miami fans after last year, like, um, you know, 
they they're at Michigan State, right? They forced oh, yeah. 30 missed tackles, right? With Kenneth Walker the third at running back. I think he he alone broke 20 plus tackles in the game. So little PTSD going on with tackling in Miami fans. I, I think it'll be better. I mean, I, I'm doing Arkansas State next, and Miami is only two spots worse than Arkansas State was. I'm not really sure Arkansas right. State will be better in explosive run right. rate allowed, but I think Miami, Miami should think. be. Uh, let's let's finish here on, on the D-line. Um, again, we're talking to David Lake of Inside the U, also the Through the Smoke podcast. Make sure you guys subscribe. Um, so Johnson, McLeod, Nesta, and Ford are all gone, and they got a lot of snaps last year. Uh, I don't know what that says about the guys behind them who didn't get the snaps, and then they hit the portal really hard. You get, you get a, you know, yeah. a, a good day from from, uh, from UCLA. Mestor, obviously, from West Virginia. They called a press conference to address him leaving, you get the uh, the USC kid, is it uh, Lichtenstein? Um, and then uh, there's another dude I forgot here in my notes. Antonio um, Moultrie, who's uh, oh, from UAB. UAB. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, okay, we can count on Leonard Taylor. I think so. Yeah. Who who else? Like, is this is this unit the problem, or are we just betting on the, were... the numbers to be okay? So they were hyping up, uh, and we heard this from scrimmages as well. But Jafari Harvey, who's a returning edge guy, he played probably 400 snaps last year, but I think it was only two and a half sacks was his final output. Um, and he is a guy that's very athletic. He does play with good effort, good good motor. Um, but for some reason, he hasn't been able to put it all on the field with production. And I think it's like technique type of issues um, that he just has to develop. And supposedly, you know, he was doing that in the, in the scrimmages. He was held out of the spring game. Um, so he is a guy they're excited about. They're excited about Leonard Taylor. And then, you know, you mentioned the transfers. I think Akeem Mesador, he's a guy that, you know, I don't think a lot of college football fans know about, but he's a big-time game wrecker, like a 275-ish defensive tackle that can get after a quarterback. So, Miami's very excited about him. Mitchell Agude will provide depth as an edge rusher. Um, and and they're still chasing defensive linemen. So, you know, this by going after all these guys, the defensive coaching staff is telling us with their actions that they feel like I think the body types bothers them. You know, I Manny Diaz liked a smaller, quicker defensive lineman. Um, that's just not what Mario Cristobal's about. So uh, they're trying to address it in the portal. Do they have game changers? I think Mesador might be. I think Leonard Taylor might be. Um, but I think they're really trying to improve it via depth. Got it. Okay. Awesome. Well, David, this is uh, it's been extremely informative, man. I'm really glad to have you on. We'll have to have you on again before the season here again on Cover 3. Make sure you guys check out Inside the U and also the Through the Smoke podcast. They do a great job. And uh, we'll be seeing you soon, man. Thank you, bud. Anytime. All right, take care, buddy. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
Hey, y'all, welcome back to the Cover 3 College Football Podcast. I'm Bud Elliott, and this is Summer School. And today, we're staying in my home state and talking a little Florida Gators with Jacob Rudner of Swamp 24-7. Jacob, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, man, no, no doubt about it. What, what, welcome to the beat. Uh, excited, exciting time to be a Florida Gator uh, beat reporter at this point. Uh, they made a coaching change out with Dan Mullen, in with Billy Napier from ULL, and he, he inherits a team that, you know, by – I think kind of a blending of the, the power ratings out there it was about 30th overall last year, but underperformed in close games, had some, uh, some effort issues, I think at times down the stretch and uh, fans in Florida have to be pretty excited about what Napier has been saying so far. Yeah. You know, he, he's definitely the kind of guy that wins the press conference. He, uh, he knows what to say. And I think that fans have gotten a sense of that early and not only that, but I think that the people that he's surrounded himself with have also done and said the right things. Uh, and now it's just kind of about seeing how they're going to parlay what they've said and kind of promises that they've made and into results. No doubt about it. Uh, so we inherited an offense that last year was 23rd nationally uh, pr- under a, a pretty good offensive coach. I mean, Dan Mullen had had some issues recruiting, roster management, uh, some motivational stuff. But I felt like offensive scheme-wise, he's usually pretty universally respected. Uh, and he has a nice quarterback there, Billy Napier does. In, uh, in Anthony Richardson, a pretty freaky athlete, big-time arm, young. Uh, Napier and his offenses do kind of have a history with, with the running quarterback stuff, particularly at ULL. Uh, is he the front-runner for the job at this point, or, or, or would you also factor in Jack Miller, the Ohio State transfer? No, I, I think we're well beyond uh, competition at this point. I think it's pretty clear that it's Anthony Richardson's job, uh, barring something completely unforeseen, and, and that was made abundantly clear during the spring game. Uh, Anthony Richardson looked fantastic. Uh, he threw for over 200 yards and basically three quarters of play. And Jack Miller actually really struggled in that game. So I think that uh, the gap that existed between the two of them entering the spring was only made larger in the final outing of their springs. And, uh, you know, I don't think that Jack Miller is an unserviceable quarterback, but it's very clear that he is the backup. No doubt about it. I'm, I'm excited to see what Richardson does there. Um, in the passing game, so they lose Jacob Copeland, they, they lose you know Kamari Gamble, they lose Rick Wells, and then they threw a heck of a lot of passes to the backs last year in Davis and Pierce. They were actually, I think, fifth and sixth on the team in targets. Uh, who do you see stepping up here? I, I I look at the roster and I see some names that I really liked as recruits. Um, you know, Justin Shorter, I think, was always that. Hey, looks looks like Terrell Owens, moves like Terrell Owens. Can he actually catch the ball? Uh, consistently and then they you know have Henderson and, and you know, Trent Whittemore who, who do you see stepping up for them uh, to potentially become a number one or, or maybe somebody I didn't even mention yeah I I think the first person you mentioned actually is the guy I think Justin Shorter it's going to come down to whether or not he's able to kind of live up to that hype uh, become the number one receiving threat for this football team and he knows that too we talked to him throughout the spring and he basically said point blank that I need to step up and I need to be that number one guy and I think that that's the expectation uh, you mentioned Henderson, you mentioned Whittemore. Those are also guys who are going to have to be uh, productive for Billy Napier. I also think that they're looking in the transfer portal to potentially supplement that wide receiver room because it was arguably one of the weaker units on the team. Uh, and we're just going to have to see how that shakes out before we can really make a determination, I think, on who is going to be a top target for this team. But that being said, I, I do think it's going to come down to whether or not Justin Shorter can look and play and act like a number one receiver. No, no doubt about it. It has to improve on on a sixty one percent catch rate because I feel like you, you watch him run run routes uh, and it's like whoa that, that's that that's right. a, a different looking dude uh, and and really kind of always has been. 
Uh, with the running backs, um, as I mentioned, they lost Davis and Pierce. I am curious, though, because they've taken some high-profile transfers in each of the last two years uh, in Lorenzo Lingard uh, from Miami uh, and then DeMarcus Bowman from Clemson. Are, are any of those guys making noise? I mean, so far they haven't done much in, in their Florida careers, but I, I always liked them as recruits, so I'm curious. Lorenzo Lingard actually I thought had a standout spring uh we didn't really get to see much of him during the spring game due to a minor injury that the team basically just decided it would be best and safest to kind of limit his reps uh throughout that and that was a bit disappointing because of the quality of spring practices that I think he put together he looked really good just the sharpest most decisive looking running back on the team in my opinion during the observation windows that we had during practices and, and granted I will say that those were only 15 minutes long, so take from that what you will. But it was still impressive, and it was quite clear that he was the best-looking guy on the field. Uh, we heard really good things about Montrell Johnson, and he's a guy who I think could emerge as we get closer to the season as potentially the number one guy in that room. But I would say that as a whole, that's a really strong-looking unit with four guys who could potentially play, uh, Lingard, Bowman, Naquan Wright, and Montrell Johnson. But the two guys who you mentioned, Bowman and Lingard, I, I think they had productive springs, Lingard especially. And I, obviously, anybody taking a handoff from Richardson is going to benefit from the, the defense having to pay attention uh, to, to Anthony's running ability as well. Uh, curious here on the offensive line. So you, you do lose uh, you know, Gene Lance, who I know on Twitter, Florida fans didn't necessarily always love, but the, the numbers were okay. And then you know, Reese, obviously, was a very veteran dude. Uh, but you get Torrance and... Uh, Oh shoot! The the six foot seven guy from from, uh, from ULL, Cameron Waits. Cameron Waits. There we go. And Ethan White uh, is back, correct? After having the injury last year, yeah. They only played in eight games. Um, am I wrong to think this offensive line could even be better? No, I don't think you are. I, I think that this is a group that has a lot of potential. Uh, I think it remains to be seen whether or not they're going to be able to put that together. And that's not me saying that we we didn't see positive things throughout the spring, but that kind of goes back to my previous comment of the observation was really limited. And beyond that, we're going off of what the coaches are saying, and they're never going to come out and say, yeah, the offensive line's looking pretty terrible, and, you know, we're going to have problems at that position. Uh, and, and so, you know, it's hard to really go off of what we saw and what we're hearing. Uh, that being said, I do agree that there's a lot of potential in the room. I like Osiris Torrance a lot. We heard things both publicly and then, you know, behind the scenes from our sources at Swamp 247 that Osiris Torrance had a really standout spring. Uh, I had one coach on, on Florida's coaching staff even tell me that he thought Osiris Torrance was the best looking offensive lineman in the room, the most SEC ready player. Uh, and that's super encouraging for a guy who has never played SEC football before. So I would say that there's a lot of potential. Uh, they have two offensive line coaches, Rob Sale and Darnell Stapleton. I think dividing things up the way that they have between the two of them has allowed players to develop a lot more rapidly throughout the spring just because they get more individualized attention. And so now it's just going to come down to what they look like in fall camp and how that translates into the season. But but from the spring, I'd say it's really hard to kind of take anything concrete away. The the division there, is that uh, guard and centers one and, and tackles tight ends the other? No, actually, it, they haven't done it that way. It's It's been kind of randomized. Huh. And then even during practices, uh, we observed them switching at points. So there would be a group of about half of the linemen together working on one uh, skill development drill, and the other group would be doing something else. And then about halfway through, even the 15-minute period that media was allowed to observe, they would switch, uh, Stapleton and Salewood. And it would allow the players to kind of hear from both guys, understand different opinions, uh, I overheard at one point a conversation where they even said, 
let's see what Coach Sale thinks about this, or let's see what Coach Stapleton thinks about this. And then they would swap positions. Uh, and apparently they're doing that in the film room too. They're allowing guys to really hear from both coaches, uh, get multiple opinions. And the reason that they did that is because they're trying to model it after an NFL coaching staff. I mean, you have two offensive line coaches in the NFL. They said that they wanted to do that at Florida. And that's something that I think that they were able to successfully do, which was appealing to both the players and to recruits based on the feedback that we heard. You know, you, you think about the other position groups that are are that size. Most teams are going to carry somewhere between like 15 and 18 offensive linemen. Uh, you know, DBs often you know have, have a similar number, and then they, they oftentimes have two position coaches. You know, most teams are going to split up D tackles, D ends, uh, if, if, unless they play an odd front. So I, I could see how that would work. It's interesting that the switch you noted. Um, speaking of switching, switching to defense here, uh, well, the offense fell off a little bit last year, and it would be hard not to uh, off off of the uh, the tremendous offense they had in 2020 that took Alabama to the wire in the SC title game. The, the defense last year really kind of fell off. At 39th overall, Todd Grantham's unit uh, definitely had some struggles, particularly in the run game. And that's kind of where I want to start here because Carter, Valentino, Newkirk, Truesdale are all gone up front. And that's 1,350 snaps at interior defensive line who are gone. So my question is, like, I, I trust Dexter. I mean, like that dude, I think has total stud ability unless I'm wrong there. Who, who else is going to play defensive tackle for this team? Well, I think you and I are going to find out at the same time, but I think that that's okay. a position group that they are trying to supplement and they're still kind of trying to find their way with. Uh, we know that Maryland transferred to uh, Daryl Jackson is actually visiting, you know, you and I are talking on Tuesday, April 22nd, 26th, excuse me. He's visiting this weekend uh, and they really need a guy who's going to be able to come in and potentially provide some snaps right away. Uh, and Billy Napier didn't hide that at all. He basically said throughout the spring that that's a unit that they feel is pretty thin. Uh, he lumped that in with wide receiver, safety, inside linebacker was another position that he said they really do need to supplement. Uh, and that remains to be the case. I, Javon Dexter looked phenomenal. Throughout the spring, I think that he's really starting to pick up as a guy who people are starting to hear nationally, not just in the SEC or locally in Florida. Um, and there's a reason for that. He, he looked really impressive, especially during the spring game, stopping the run particularly. And beyond that, I think it kind of remains to be seen as to who's going to step up and, and be the second guy next to Dexter. And that might not be something that we learn until we're deeper into fall camp or even towards the beginning of the season. Seems fair to label that kind of concern number one with a bullet for, for this team at this point? Um, I, you know, concern, I think, is a strong word. I, I, sure. I think it's difficult to tell because as we learn about things with this team, I think the coaching staff is too, just because of the change. And, you know, they haven't had that much exposure to these guys yet. You have four weeks of spring ball, 14 practices in a spring game. And how much can you really, you know, glean from that confidently? Uh, you know, it, it's difficult. And so I would say that, uh, you know, it's an area that's going to need to be watched going into fall camp. And I think it's going to be something that this coaching staff is trying to fix, you know, going into that a with guys that they have in house, but B with whoever they're able to bring into the program, which is something we know that they're trying to do. Uh, and, and so that's going to be, yeah, you know, I think it's a topic, but it's not a concern yet. I don't think. I, I found it interesting that, that you listed off a uh, receiver, safety and and defensive tackle um because i look at linebacker and i see you know bogle diabate hopper moon bernie are all gone right unless i missed unless one of those guys came back that i missed that's like two thousand snaps at the linebacker slash buck position last year uh, that, that that don't return i 
are they feeling better about this spot? You think than uh, than I realize they are. So so Bernie is coming back. Uh, Bernie he, is back. Okay. Yeah, Bernie's back. Uh, I think that they feel okay about the unit. And we talked to their linebackers coaches, uh, both of them during spring. And one of the things that they said that they were really focusing on was just starting over and working on tackling, for example. Uh, they felt like based on what they saw from last year, based on the guys that they have in house, they need to kind of focus on fundamentals with this group. And Billy Napier did say that they are potentially looking to add an inside linebacker uh, through the transfer portal. So you know, and, and that's a theme. I, I I feel like I'm saying this a lot, but I'll I'll make it concise and, and really talk about the point here. Billy Napier has said on multiple occasions that they do not feel good about the depth uh, with this team. They He said it explicitly on several occasions, and he says that they're going to fix that both through the transfer portal immediately and with their recruiting class. You know, they're out on the trail right now, visiting schools and talking to players, and that's how they feel like they're going to fix it. But at the moment, they feel kind of across the board like this team lacks depth. And it's at those positions that I mentioned and inside backer, defensive tackle, safety, wide receiver are among those spots. Last one here as far as position questions. Um, I look at the defensive back room and I feel like okay, they, they lose Kyrie Elam, who was a stud uh, when he was healthy, and they get Kember from Georgia. This, this should be a strength, right? Am I, am I missing something here? No, I don't think you are. I, I think okay. that this is a room that has a lot of potential. Uh, I think the coaching staff sees that, and it was pretty clear throughout the spring that that was the case. Uh, those players, on, I think that they just looked athletic. They looked sharp for the most part. You mentioned Kimber. He actually had a great spring game. Uh, and, and it was a unit that really stood out, I would say, from beginning to end of spring ball. Um, I think that they feel as though they have room to add a safety potentially through the portal but it's not like a desperate need. I think that they want maybe just that for a number to get another body into the mix here. Uh, but yeah, no, I would agree with you that th that's probably your strength if you're looking at the defense overall right now and the unit that you can feel most confident about. Awesome. Jacob Redner, Swamp 24-7. Really appreciate you joining us here on the Cover 3 Podcast Summer School Series. We'll have to have you back to preview the team come fall. We'll see what else happens in the transfer portal. And it's an exciting time in Gainesville with the start of the Billy Napier era. Thank you very much for having me. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey guys, Bud Elliott here, and welcome back to another edition of the Cover 3 Podcast. This is our summer school special, and today we're talking a little, little UCF Knights, and uh, here we have joining us Jeremy Brenner from Knights 24-7 to talk about it. Thanks, Bud. You know, if I, I never like summer school, but I'll go to summer school with you. How about that? Perfect. Let's, let's do it. So, uh, Gus Malzahn came in uh, in, in what was thought of and probably still thought of as, as, as quite the coup uh, hire for UCF after Josh Heupel uh, and Denny White left for Tennessee and uh, put up a, a pretty solid first season. Um, you know, obviously lived down here, you know, just like you do. A lot of UCF fans on the group chat had kind of mixed emotions about some of the results, but it, it's hard to complain about nine and four, I guess, in year one. Nine and four with mostly a true freshman at quarterback who didn't know he was going to start at the beginning of the season. So, 
and, and not that's just at the quarterback. We had injuries at quarterback, receiver, all over the defense. So to come out with nine wins last season is an accomplishment, and it's kind of the I would guess the floor, the foundation. And now the Knights have something to build on during the Malzahn era as we close out our time in the AAC and move to the Big 12, hopefully by next season. Absolutely. So uh, offensively is, is where we'll start. Uh, obviously, Gus runs a, a much different system uh, than what Heupel ran and, and before him, um, you know, what, what Scott Frost ran. Although I guess it's more similar to what Frost ran than it, than it is to anything Heupel ran. So an, an adjustment to be sure for everybody on offense there. Uh, they were 29th in rushing efficiency, uh, 113th in passing efficiency. As you noted, Dylan Gabriel goes down uh, very early in the year, and that was that was difficult. Uh, but that kind of meshes with what Gus Malzahn does well. His teams always run the heck out of the ball, and passing is uh, sometimes good and sometimes maybe not quite as good. Obviously, they're not looking for a 29-113 split, I would say, in most years. Uh, but I am curious. They, the name that, that caught my eye here in the transfer portal uh, – John Rice Plumley was a dude who played a lot of quarterback when Ole Miss had Rich Rod as their OC in 2020 uh, or 2019, maybe it was. But it was a couple of years ago. They, they gave that LSU national championship team hell. Is he coming in as a quarterback? And, and, and what, what do you expect him to do? So John Rice Plumley was the quarterback at the spring game along with Mikey Keene. That's really what the offseason is going to be defined by is this quarterback battle between Mikey Keene, the incumbent starter who wasn't great in 2021, but give him a full offseason under Gus Malzahn and have him be the QB one could see some growth there. And we've, we have seen some growth, you know, there was, there was some improvements and some throws he made in the spring game uh, two weeks ago that he didn't make in the regular season. So I think when it comes to that, you know, Plumlee's really interesting. I really didn't think that he was going to come in and really challenge that guy. I really honestly thought uh, Thomas Castellanos, who is Gus's quarterback recruit from uh, Georgia, he came in and rolled early, was part of the spring team. I thought he was going to be the lead, the favorite for quarterback. But John Rice Plumley is is proving why he was a quarterback to begin with at an SEC school. And I feel like a lot of people forget about that. He got replaced by Matt Corral, same guy in his class, who's going to be a day two pick at, at the worst this this weekend. So, you know, comparing him to that is is difficult. But you get him at UCF. The skill players are incredibly talented, like you mentioned, but it's uh, the running back room is insane. You got Johnny Richardson, Isaiah Bowser came back. Uh, Mark Anthony Richards can give you a little juice. They, they have four or five, like they have about three or four, maybe even five running backs that could, you know, make some noise this season. And then receivers, even though you lose Jalen Robinson to the transfer portal, you do have Ryan O'Keefe. Amari Johnson's been playing really well. Jalen Griffin's expected to be an exciting part of this offense as well. And you also bring Kobe Hudson, who was the number one receiver at Auburn last season. So if you put a bunch of talent around these quarterbacks, they're expected to have good results. I, I also like that. And I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that Malzahn is not capable of having a pass first or good passing offense. Cause I don't know that to be true, but I do know that Gus Malzahn absolutely knows what he's doing with a running quarterback. And most of the offenses that people are going to look favorably upon what Malzahn does have involved a running quarterback, you know, go, go back to the team that almost won the national championship 
in 2013. Nick Marshall was not a quarterback at Georgia, but a cornerback at Georgia. I mean, he had SEC corner level uh, athleticism. And honestly, like, if for people out there that haven't seen Plumlee, and you've obviously seen him, I've, I've seen him as a recruit in, in college, he has like legitimate Major League Baseball, like center field speed as well. I mean, like the dude can really run. It's like, oh, it's a nice scramble. It's like, oh, that's a 70 yarder. Um, so I'm, I just think everything flows so much better uh, with Malzahn's offenses when he has a quarterback that can really, really run. Um, and I, I also like just from a, hey, that makes sense to me perspective with Castellanos because Georgia and Florida State wanted him to play running back. I'm like, all right, Gus has another dude who has SEC level you know, running back ability, but who can throw enough to play play quarterback in this offense that's kind of native. It's not wing T, but it, it's, you know, sort of, derived from that wing T attack. I, I just, I like what I see there with that. And I, I like they're moving in that direction. Um, that'll be interesting. As you mentioned, Bowser's back. They, this offense should score a heck of a lot of points. You, you, relative amount of confidence in the offensive line, I assume as well. Yeah. So the offensive line did take some hits. Uh, Sam Jackson's not returning, but you do oh, have and, uh, Cole Schneider as well, but there is enough, on that like basically offensive line i think is going to be more dominant in in the run game i think as you've mentioned but you know it's you're looking at a team here that can run the ball in a whole different and in that that's going to be the primary idea for this team even if it's not exactly the running backs doing the running you could see a little bit from Plumley see a little bit of Castellanos I do think there's going to be some screens run for Ryan O'Keefe and and maybe we see him even as like a runner kind of guy that is probably the most concerning part of this whole offense is that offensive line just because they aren't as um they aren't as veteran heavy as we've seen in the past but we've got you've got guys like Lukaki Paule he's in he's in the interior he's been here, I think three years now. I think going on year four. Matt Lee, uh, the center, he's back. So there is, uh, there are some veterans on this line. It's not as much as we've seen in the past, but there's enough there to keep this offense afloat. For sure. Uh, so on the flip side, defensively, uh, UCF about 40th in, in, in the power ratings, which is is not terrible. Um, but they had an enormous split, almost the exact opposite of what the offense had. So they were 11th in pass efficiency defense, but they were 105th in rush efficiency defense. So that is, uh, that's kind of hard to do. You don't usually see like top, you know, top 15, bottom 15 splits like that, but that's, that's what they came out to. And, and then the defensive line, obviously big cat Bryant moves on, uh, you know, Cam good goes to Michigan. What, what is your, uh, what's your assessment of the defensive line here as they look to improve on, uh, you know, obviously stay, stay getting after the passer, but uh, maybe get a little better at 105th uh, in rushing defense. God, the defensive line might be the most um, – it's probably the unit that I would put the most question marks around simply okay. because there are a lot – there's a lot of change going on. Uh, we also don't know what Trayvon Morris Brash's role is going to be. Uh, we're looking at a very new uh, front seven. Uh, Tatum Bethune also moves on, goes to Florida State. They did get some transfers as well. Um, so – I don't I wouldn't use any stats from last year to really kind of see the tea leaves for this team just because it is a really brand new defense but 
I mean, if you saw less, if you saw any games last season, you know that this defense was basically how the Knights were able to win a lot of these games down the stretch. It was it, it turned into a total 180 from the offense being the ones dictating if the team won or lost the defense. And I think that's a big uh, that's a big testament to Travis Williams' ability to coach defensive coordinator. I wouldn't be surprised if this was his last year at UCF because he'll have opportunities to be a head coach elsewhere. And I am almost worried because I think Travis Williams was a major reason why that success came from that from that defensive line last season. So a lot of question marks, but there is a lot of upside. Uh, you know, Terrence Lewis from Maryland comes in as a transfer. You know, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he mes- meshes with the group. They just minutes ago got a transfer from an all, uh, All-American linebacker at UAB, uh, Chris Mole, I believe his name is. So they've got a lot of interesting transfer pieces. That's kind of how they've built this defense for this year. And hopefully that'll be enough to keep this team from not losing these games. I think what this team's MO is going to be is let's let the offense score points. You know, that's been UCF's identity for the past five, six years now is let's let the offense score and the defense. You guys just make sure we don't lose the game. For sure. Uh, And I I thought one of the things they did exceptionally well last year, uh, especially in the back end was explosive play prevention Uh, down the stretch. You just saw the unit come together. uh, Very few, you know, very few blown coverages and they, they, not that they were allowing a ton of underneath stuff, but they, they did a really good job at limiting explosive pass plays. They were actually uh, they were fourth in the country in explosive pass prevention, which is, I mean, part of that's probably some of the QBs they played down the stretch, but also like they thought they did a hell of a job against the schedule that they played. And now, uh, I mean, just looking at this, everybody on this secondary who played more than 100 snaps last year returns. That's going to be the strength of this team, right? I would guess on the defense. Yeah. On the yeah. defense, I'd say Devon Wilson's back. They added Kobe Perry, which I think is uh, going to be a huge deal. He did get injured during the spring game, but I don't think it's going to affect him in the summer and, and whatnot. That is how this team is going, or that's how the defense is going to build itself. Right. It's, it's going to look towards its veterans. That's what it did last year. And that's why Tatum Bethune ended up rising as this, you know, primary defensive uh, piece, but now that he's gone, they're gonna they're gonna look towards those veterans in in the backfield or excuse me in the secondary. That is how this team is going to win football games. As far as any additional transfers, I assume they have a couple more spots left. I'd be surprised if they didn't. Uh, you know, Gus Malzahn has proven that he is incredibly he's incredibly adaptive in terms of how he builds this team. And I think you kind of have to be in this world of college football where the transfer portal is as big as it's ever been. And Gus Malzahn's always keeping his eye open. And what I like about Gus and what he's done with UCF is he is keeping a local focus as well. And with UCF becoming a big 12 school now, they're the only school in Florida with that that isn't, you know, Flo- like it's not just Florida, Florida State, and Miami anymore. And if you look right. at the results from last season, UCF arguably had a more successful season. And there is a legitimate reason for Florida recruits to not just stay in Florida, but go to UCF. You're close to home, but you're also competing against this, 
you know, power five talent now. And I think that it's, it's, it's a huge part of his recruiting now. And it's going once the team fully becomes a big 12 school, because that's basically what they're, they've been recruiting for these last two seasons with the idea that these players will be, you know, four year big 12 guys. That's why you're seeing UCF rise up this, this ladder per se, in terms of, you know, ranking, I believe they're in the top, what is it? Top 20, at least the top 25 uh, for recruiting classes that will start when the big 12 comes. And I think UCF's goal this season is to get us on the right foot going to the big 12. They don't want to just go to the big 12 just to be in the big 12, right? They want to be in the big 12 and compete in the big 12. And I think that with the roster they are building and the culture, more importantly, the culture that they're building, they are positioning themselves to be able to do just that. I, I think it makes total sense. And I, I, I uh, um, you know, golf with some UCF administrators in, in the past who, you know, are, are no longer there uh, and are at some, you know, some different P5 schools. And I, you know, the thing I always told them is like, look, I think it's not crazy to think that long-term UCF competes with a Florida or Miami or Florida state for recruits in the state of Florida. In the short term, a move to the P5, uh, in my opinion, uh, most likely helps them to battle like an NC State or Purdue or Wisconsin for the kids who are more in that sort of like, you know, 35 to 75 in terms of where they rank in the state of Florida. Kids that are really, really good. I mean, kids that honestly, some of the assistant coaches only exist on these staffs to go down to the state of Florida and get and get paid half a million bucks to, to go down there and get them. You know, if, if they can be more competitive in that area. And I really think that's one thing we've seen so far from Gus Malzahn and his staff. Uh, more so than Heupel staff, right, is trying to compete for some of those kids who make who make sense. You don't want to just go after guys because he's highly rated. I mean, you want to get the guys that fit your program, but you want to get the most talented dudes who do fit uh, what you do. I, I really agree with you. I think that's uh, that's that, that's a strong goal for them and something that, that is achievable. Heupel almost neglected the Central Florida area, and that's probably yeah. the number one place that Gus Malzahn is attacking. So that is – the biggest change from regimes is that Gus is, but also at the same time, Gus is not just keeping an eye on central Florida. You know, he's got, he's got recruits from Georgia. Georgia's really highly recruited from, from UCF. So and he's got, obviously he's got some Auburn transfers as well. And his relationships with, with, with recruits in Alabama and in Mississippi. So it's, I mean, obviously the majority of the recruits that are coming in are Florida and Georgia. There is, that's, I think the appeal of having a Gus Malzahn coach this team is that he has recruited the SEC for years. So he has ties with those coaches that are at those high schools in the area that, that bring them in. And hopefully it gets to a point to where when you get to the big 12, you're competing with all these Texas schools who have the biggest recruiting hotbed in the country. Some would argue. No doubt about it. All right. And really enjoyed this, Jeremy. And uh, everybody go to Nights 24-7 to check out more excellent UCF content. We'll have to have you back on in the preseason for our our, uh, our fall previews. All right. Thanks, but appreciate it. Hey, guys. Buddy Elliot here. And welcome back in to the Cover 3 Podcast Summer School Series where I've done my research on these teams. And now I'm going to bring on the real experts to tell me, you know, kind of like some of the answers, fill in, fill in some of the blanks. And uh, I'm really happy to be joined. My friend Brendan Sinone of Knowles 24-7. Brendan, welcome to Cover 3 again. 
When you said real expert, I almost gave you finger guns and I decided against it. I'm trying to behave myself on this. Big finger guns. That those those would be solid. I, there we go. That bur- need to have some of that bourbon in the background. There we go. Fire them <laughs> off. Got some fireworks for today's show. Uh so Florida State, Mike Norvell's second year in Tallahassee after sort of a, a really awkward first year, given that it was a COVID year. <laughs> you know, a that's, a, of, that's a nice way to put it. Yeah. A lot of zoom install. Uh they failed to make a bowl game. Uh but they did show pretty good amount of improvement in, in all the power ratings, which I think are more translatable year to year. You're pretty sure they were an improved team, obviously, in year two. Oh, definitely an improved team. I, I think we can kind of parse where they improved enough or, or just how much. But, well, no, I wouldn't even say just how much because they were definitely improved. But I think in almost every area, I mean, the defense was markedly better. The offense took a while to kind of find its footing as it yo-yoed between quarterbacks. And, and I can be critical of the staff of how they managed the quarterback situation early in the year. But uh, you know, even then, they kind of found their identity and got something with Jordan Travis as the season progressed. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think generally you saw good, positive signs of growth. Uh, you saw guys playing more cohesively and together. Things that portend and point to uh, reason to be optimistic for more growth going into the quote-unquote, year three for, for Mike Norvell. For sure. Um, so let's start there with, with with that offense. Obviously, they did show quite a bit of improvement there over year one. It would be a little bit hard not to, uh, but they, <laughs> yeah. they did go ahead and show it. Uh, and I'd say in the games that Jordan Travis, the you know, their quarterback, played the majority of the snaps, this was not that bad of an offense. Now, it was a weird offense it just by, by seeing the numbers. And obviously, I'll also see the games just you know like, like you do as well, and you report on it. Um, I felt like there's some stuff you can really build off here with Travis. Uh, so I was j- just before this first story I was doing on the quarterback situation exiting the spring. You know, Jordan Travis is quarterback one. I don't think that's going to be in doubt at this point. I think that's pretty solidified from the time he was officially like the starter, like when they stopped going back and forth between the two. So October 2nd was the first game he entered the starting lineup, like as QB one and they stopped the yo-yoing stuff. Uh, his, he had an 11, 11 passing touchdowns to so two interceptions, bud. Uh, his passer rating of like 150.1 was, I think, 17th among Power 5 quarterbacks. And then I didn't even factor in like the rushing yards, rushing touchdowns, and the things he does in that aspect. So uh, he is a legitimate dual threat quarterback. I do think they're, we're starting to see kind of what his likely ceiling is as a passer. Uh, but I think ultimately he's going to settle in to be an average passing quarterback at the Power 5 level. Level, Excuse me. Maybe a, maybe a notch below it but competent when you factor in what he can do as a passer and so i think you you have something that you can build on there you have an identity which is really important for offenses especially when you don't have overwhelming talent across the board you have to kind of find the things you do well and then really kind of hone in on them so we saw that in the spring with uh, the run game i know we'll get into other things in a bit here bud but i, I do think there's we're starting to see this offense being tailored to jordan travis's strengths which you know, they haven't gone into either of the last two seasons doing this such. Uh, they'll do that this year, and I think that'll probably lead, knock on wood, as long as he stays healthy, to consistent production from the offense. I'm a big believer uh, that you can kind of get a feel for a staff's feeling about their position groups by how they allocate their scholarships uh, on the recruiting trail, but especially so in the transfer portal because that does kind of portend of, hopefully, if you're doing it right, some instant impact. And Florida State went out and took – is it six new skill position players on offense, I think, or or, or five? Winston four, Wright. Four wide receivers and then one running back in Trey 
Benson in this. That's game. a lot of new guys in the skill positions. It, it tells me that maybe some of the passing struggles were more than just Jordan Travis. The wide receivers were pretty awful last year. I don't think I can, you know, I can massage it to sound like it, anything other than than that. It was one of the worst in the Power Five. Certainly, you know, watching ACC play throughout the year, uh, and I know you're watching everything, but like it, it, it was not pretty. Uh, and they struggled just very basic, like man beater concepts, little crossing things. The offense was super hampered by the wide receivers. Uh, forget like winning 50 50 battles uh, or you're getting yak, things like that. Like they just struggled to do very basic things. So, yeah, they allocate four scholarships to the wide receiver room in the spring. And uh, that's been a mixed bag uh, of the newcomers. I think Micah Pittman from Oregon looks like he'll be solid. He'll be in the rotation. I don't think he's a true number one guy. So, you know, FSU fans, if you're listening, don't get your hopes up in that regard, but he is someone who's going to contribute and I think be solid and be gadgety and do a few things well. So he'll help Johnny Wilson, just really, really up and down. He'll have a great practice and he'll have a practice where he puts the ball on the ground a few times, but he's six foot seven. He does get open a fair amount. He does win a fair amount of 50, 50 balls when he doesn't get open and has to just go up for a jump ball. There is something there. I don't know how much you can trust of him right now, but I do think he has the potential to elevate the room. Really, the, the real knock on the wide receiver room, though, is that lack of a true number one. And, and I think Winston Wright, who you mentioned, bud, was going to be the number one. He was in the transfer from West Virginia. They had about 1,200 receiving yards combined the last two seasons. Just very solid, a, a smaller wide receiver, but really jittery and uh, quick. And um, he has the offseason injury in a car accident, not his fault, uh, leads to a leg injury, and that'll keep him out for some time. I think FSU is optimistic he'll play. Uh, in 2022, but I don't have a feeling as like to how you know, will, will he be 100%? Just what level will you have him with? So yeah, wide receiver, uh, you've allocated spots there, but man, I you may have to add one more this off season because I don't I don't know if you feel great about about what you have in the passing game right now. For sure, and an, another spot where they have also uh, begun to add bodies quite a lot, even though they bring back uh, I think four of their top five uh, from last year is the offensive line. They add Caden Lyles, they add Bless Harris, and the offensive line has kind of long been an issue for Florida State, really, really since Jimbo and then whiffed on the offensive line class following the national title. So we're looking at you know about eight years here. Uh, health has been a major problem there o- over that span. They they bring in uh, you know two transfers, as I said. Uh, this is a group that they seem to continue to recruit over better than you would expect them to, given how they've played and given their, their record on the field. I, I assume that's because of the coach. Yeah, I think Alex Atkins, has, especially this past class, I think, did they get five or six offensive linemen? Um, regardless five of pending, five, maybe Woody. Uh, Tay, Tay Woody and whether he he becomes eligible or not. Yeah, um, but it, let me start with Tay Woody. Like, everyone, I think, other than Kanaya Charlton, was like a top 400 prospect, and they had multiple four-star guys, Julian Armella, um, and then the kid from Texas, I'm always blinking on his name. Uh, but but he was you know, an Under Armour All-American as well. So they had multiple guys who were like all-star caliber offensive linemen. Equation Sapp was a four-star lineman. So they, they had multiple guys in this class that they have promise. But, you know, it's a dicey proposition whether a true freshman can help out on the offensive line. I'm saying dicey proposition. It's unlikely. We saw Robert Scott hold his own as a true freshman two years ago. That's just extremely unlikely. I think internally, like Julian Armella, they, they think could possibly have the physical tools to help out year one. Uh, but whether – you know, whether that materializes is, is TBD and he's not on And if you're not an yet. early enrollee, it's tough too. It becomes you know? almost impossible. Again, Robert Scott did do it. So it's not impossible, but it's pretty darn hard. So right. yeah, it, it'll be uh transfer heavy. I think of what you have to rely on for these contributors this year. And who knows, but maybe, 
maybe uh, maybe they add one or two more in the offseason on the offensive line. For sure. I mean, if, if they can get one more in there to give them three transfers, you, you get back four of your top five from last year. It, it's hard to see that group being worse. You know, than, than it's yeah. been. I and guess. even even like last year, like you, you mentioned, four out of five uh, of the top returners or the top players are returning on the offensive line. Devontae Love Taylor falls into that category as the one guy who is the one that that isn't returning. But man, he was a shell of himself last year, and it, it stinks because he had a really solid 2020 season for FSU. They liked his versatility, his maturity. He was the FIU transfer. He, he was really solid, and then he had a knee injury late in 2020 and never got back 100 percent from it. He played a lot of snaps, but was a shell of himself. So in some ways, but like, I think there's addition by subtraction with just starting the, if you're able to start a healthy offensive line, that's how bad the depth was last year and why you're taking all these bodies, both in the transfer portal and then uh, in the recruiting cycle as well, is because you were forced to play a far from hundred percent Devonte Love Taylor. They were forced to play an injured baby on Johnson at times. Uh, they were forced to play Dylan Gibbons to transfer Notre Dame play well, but he wasn't hundred percent for most of the season too. So that's where you got to get to is a place where you can, field seven or eight guys every few weeks and feel like there's not a huge drop off and you can, you know, rest someone for a week if they're not hundred percent in the trenches. So turning to the defensive side of the ball here uh, on the defensive line, seven of the nine guys who played 150 plus snaps last year are back, okay. but the two who aren't back are a fairly big deal. I would think on a team that doesn't have that much talent. I mean, Jermaine Johnson is, I think exceeded certainly my expectations, probably the staff's expectations too. If you, if you give them the truth oh, yeah. serum, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. They thought they were going to take a backup at Georgia and, and make him into a top ten draft pick yeah. in, in one year. Uh, how is there any way they avoid a drop off along the defensive line? No, there will be a. So the defensive line collectively, I have reason to be optimistic about it because of what they bring back. Um, along the interior of the defensive line. It's Fabian Lovett and Robert Cooper, multi-year starters, and they they were really solid last year. And you bring back their top reserves as well, and then you bring in some freshmen as well. So the the, the depth at defensive tackle should be good. Uh, I do think overall you will have a drop-off in production. We're talking about defensive end and defensive line, but I still think it could be one of the better units, if not the best unit on the team because those defensive tackles are so strong. And there is reason for optimism at defensive end. Jared Verse, the transfer from Albany, man, he's he had an awesome spring. Uh, the, all the physical tools you could want, the energy is there. Uh, even just like the, like the mental aptitude, he's really smart, and he just he he has this nice chippiness to him. But he's not as refined as Jermaine Johnson was. Even coming in, even you know before Jermaine Johnson was the Jermaine Johnson household name, even in the spring you could tell that Jermaine Johnson was more refined. It makes sense. He'd been in college for five years. Jared Verse has been in college for two or three years. So there is a difference there. Dennis Briggs, they like a ton. They move him from defensive tackle to defensive end. He's played defensive end some in his career, so this isn't going to be like this uh, crazy experiment. Like, there's something there, and he's coming off an injury. But I think with with Briggs and Jared Verge, you have something decent there. And then Derek McClendon is going to be a solid, whether he starts or takes starting caliber reps or he's in the rotation. We'll see. I, I think Jared Verge probably ends the season as the starter. He, he's probably your, your superior talent, but McClendon will play a good deal. So I think you have three solid pieces there but it's not Jermaine Johnson or Kier Thomas. So yeah, some somewhat of a drop off uh, with the pass rush. You have to be creative, bud, I guess, in how you get to the quarterback. For sure. Uh, and with the experience they have in the secondary, I know when we had Bill Conley on the show uh, on cover three, he talked about you know how Florida State brings back more experience in the secondary than pretty much anybody. 
Now Jarvis Brownlee, who was the snap leader of the defense uh, last year, 812 snaps on defense, uh, is off, transferred to uh, to Louisville, uh, and yet they bring in Greedy Vance from Louisville. I, in your opinion, is that uh, is that kind of a one-for-one swap, or do you feel like – what do you think about the secondary post-Brownlee? It's fine. We're going to look at it as a trade. I don't know if that's totally fair to do to, to both guys, but I totally understand the impulse to why. Like I, I've thought of it that, that myself too, because you're talking about a starting cornerback first starting cornerback. So it is interesting. Uh, from a talent perspective, I do like Brownlee's talent better. I, I think there's something more there to his game. Uh, but culturally, I, I mean, yeah, they were struggling with Jarvis Brownlee at the end. And Greedy Vance, I love the way he practices. Uh, he he does play with a ton of energy. You can understand like why they brought him in as like a cultural guy. I don't think he's a starter though for you uh, day one, or if he is, it's probably more of a nickelback or, or something in that regard. So he's going to be valuable. He's going to be used, but, but Jarvis Brownlee was like you said, but an 800 plus step guy. And that was because you didn't have better options than him last year. Uh, to be fair, uh, the defensive back room, especially the cornerback room is going to look a lot different than it was last season though. Murray and Cooper came on late last year. He was a true freshman who was out for the first couple of weeks of camp. Uh, and then we saw he really ended the year strong, had a really nice, nice spring camp here. Uh, Zaria Thomas and Sam McCall will probably play as true freshmen. I don't know about early in the year, but, but they will eventually get in the lineup, especially as Thomas, like he wasn't on the roster last year. So he obviously wasn't pushing Brownlee. And then Renardo green may have been the most solid cornerback throughout camp. Maybe not the highest upside, but just someone who's really, really solid. He moves from safety back to his natural position of corner and is healthy now and practicing consistently for the first time in about two years. So all these names I'm throwing out there were guys who weren't really in the mix for most of last season. So I do think there's something reason to why Jarvis Brownlee transferred. And part of that was he looked around and didn't see assured playing time. Uh, that's part of, of why he ultimately leaves Florida State. So be interesting to see, but if, if that group's going to be uh, better than it was last year. I, I think it'll be more talented, whether that leads to to more consistent, steady production. Uh, we'll see. The last guy I want to talk about here uh, is a similar story to, um, you know, to to, to Green in, in that Akeem Dent is a guy who, you know, I got to see a ton playing seven on throughout the state. You know, got to see a couple of high school games. And it just felt like he had a bit of a, a crisis of confidence because he, he could never put together four or five weeks in a row where he was healthy. And now that he, I mean, knock on wood here, but it feels like, He's finally just put together a stretch where he's healthy enough to actually train and and get consistent reps. And uh, if if he takes another safety spot next to Jamie Robinson, uh, that you could have a situation where two years ago your safeties were were a liability, and last year they weren't necessarily great. Um, you could have a pretty nice safety tandem within the ACC. And then also you that gives you some flexibility, like use an athlete like Shaheen Brown in sub packages, or Jarquez McClellan is very. Uh, reliable at safety. He's nothing special talent wise, but you, you, they know where he's going to be. So yeah, all of a sudden you're looking at that position group and be like, yeah, there's, there's some depth there, but, but you know, last year, bud, we had access to almost every, well, multiple practices each week. And that's something that I appreciate that more Mike Norvell had opened up to the media because it gives you a better sense of these players journey. And, and by that, I think as a casual fan, uh, or if you're not there at every practice, you're not seeing the exact like availability of the player is having on a day-to-day -day basis. Being healthy and being able to practice at 100% and get a ton of reps in and being able to build on day-to-day -day and improve week-to-week, -week, like that translates over to Saturdays more so than I think I've ever imagined, like being around the sport 
uh, for, for this part of my career. Like I, I never really understood to this extent how important that was. And so when you would, see, it was so cool. You could see guys kind of coming on with confidence, like as the season went on, if they put together these healthy stretches of practice and just building on it. And Akeem Dent was one of those guys, right? He was someone who uh, you saw him starting to catch the ball, like making interceptions and creating takeaways in practice. And like, if you know Akeem Dent's story, that's something that was a struggle for him early in his career. But you start seeing that in practice, you start seeing him being around the ball more. And then like the light bulb like turns on from everything clicks. And that came in the Miami game with three games left in the season. Uh, he was able to, he had his like big hit. I think it was in the second quarter. And that just gave him this confidence. He jarred the ball loose. It was just big, devastating hit over the middle of the field. Kind of looked like the Stanford Samuels hit a little bit uh, from about a decade or plus ago, I guess, at this point. Uh, but then he ends up having his three highest graded PFF games. I think of his career consecutively against Miami, against Boston College, against Florida. So against three power five opponents. And that confidence that he got to end last season falls into this spring where he's been Arguably, if not the top playmaker on defense, which, yeah, all of a sudden gives you something between him and Jamie Robinson's rock solid. Yeah, I think FSU feels solid with what it has at safety right now. There's reason to be optimistic for sure. Uh, last one here because we are a little bit short on time. Kellen Deloach really came on last year. Linebacker had, had a, a strong year, looking to improve on that this year. Uh, last year, overall, the linebacker play was kind of poor. Mm-hmm. This year, I know everybody's really excited about Tatum Bethune, transfer linebacker from UCF. So depth of that spot. Probably still a little sketchy, but uh, you know, considering the guys who were kind of bad last year are now his backups, I would assume. This will be the best linebacking core if they stay healthy since fill in the blank for me. 2013. Um uh, wow. okay. Yeah, but there's still a huge, like the drop-off. And I guess 2014 wasn't as just that Terrence Smith was hurt a lot that year, if I recall correctly. And, Reggie and Matthew Thomas was uh, sometimes yeah. available, sometimes not. Yeah, Matthew Thomas had that 2016 season that was kind of like this this one year. It was just very Matthew Thomasy, very unicorny of him to have just one season where you're like, hey, there's something there. Uh, but, but yeah, it, it's been a while since I think you feel consistently good about the linebacker room. And that 2013 room was great with with Telvin Smith there. But um, yeah, this won't be close to that. But it just the, I think that more points to just how inconsistent the linebacker room has been. Uh, the last you know decade or so, Tatum Bethune, I think is going to be rock solid, man. I don't, he's not flashy. I don't know if he's an NFL caliber player. My gut is probably not, and if so, it, it, he'll have some hit some limitations. I think size wise, but he moves well. He's really physical. He's really smart, and I think that's going to give him a chance to be just really solid as your as your Mac linebacker. And then like if you're able to have, excuse me, Mike linebacker. Then if you're able to have Kalen Deloach, like what what Tatum Bethune does for you at a linebacking unit is he becomes your number one. So he turns last year's number one in Kalen Deloach to your number two linebacker. He takes your number two linebacker from last year. And DJ Lundy makes me number three in a backup. Amari Gaynor can now be used more situationally, which there is a value to Amari Gaynor situationally, just that they haven't been able to make him a down to down player uh, throughout his career with multiple coaching staff. So you don't necessarily have to use him in that role now, if he's your fourth guy. So I think that's really what Tatum Bethune does is he kind of elevates your linebacker play because he forces guys to, or he doesn't force guys to play in roles they're not comfortable with. He allows you to do more things situationally. Uh, the one thing I'll say about it is that DJ Lundy did lose, legitimately lose good weight this this offseason. And uh, we even saw in the spring game, like he makes plays in, in, in space now. Not, I think, to the extent that you need at a power five linebacker, you have to be at a high end level, but it may not be this glaring liability now. And we know he's good against the run, so... I, I'm kind of bullish on the linebacker room, to be honest. There you go. Yep. Brendan Sinone, Knowles 24-7. Follow him on Twitter.
Hit up Knowles 24-7 for all the great scoop and continued coverage, especially with the transfer portal. Listen to On the Bench, the fantastic podcast from those guys over there at Knowles 24-7. Brendan, really appreciate you joining us here on Cover 3 Summer School. Thank you, bud. All right, that's the bell. Cover 3 College Football Summer School is over for today. But don't worry. We'll be back soon with even more episodes filling you in on the top teams in college football. Please give us those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on YouTube and on Twitter at Cover 3 Podcast, and we'll see you all soon.